Good morning. We're continuing our series in Acts chapters 3 and 4 today as we're looking at this sense series, Our Witness in the World for the Gospel of the Lord Jesus. If I haven't met you, my name is Chuck Fuller. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at First Baptist Church, Upstate Church, mostly helping with the Anderson campus. Uh, so I'm sort of like the sixth or eighth man on the basketball team. When there's an open slot in the calendar, they kind of slide me into different spots. Uh, Pastor Wayne is actually preaching in Anderson today. He'll be back here next week. And uh, you need to know that this, this afternoon at 2 o'clock at the Harrison Bridge campus, they're having a groundbreaking ceremony uh, to begin the construction project on the new worship center there. And that's really cool what God is doing uh, there. So you want to join them uh, this, this afternoon. Uh, my normal job is that I'm on faculty at Anderson University. I teach in the College of Christian Studies and direct our honors program there. And just let me say this really cool kind of pipeline from Simpsonville to AU that's nice. Let's keep it rolling. Okay, y'all do your part. Let's keep that connection going. Um, perhaps you have at some place in your life encountered a scenario, a situation where um, you did not respond to it the way you thought you would, and you were left after the fact wondering why you responded the way that you did. I'm thinking about my junior year of high school in a chemistry class, and the class met in a lab where there were, you know, four people at a table, and it was me, a guy named Heath, a guy named Josh, a guy named Kent, and um, we didn't learn much chemistry that year, and we had a really good time not trying uh, to learn chemistry. Students, sorry, I should not say those things, uh, but our, our teacher was more laid back than usual, and that afforded tons of time for conversation, so we found ourselves talking about things that high school guys talk about, cars and sports and and fishing, and as a year went on, as our friendships deepened, conversations also deepened, and we found ourselves talking about our families, our situations, our hopes, college. And one day, the conversation turned towards spiritual things, and my buddy Heath said something like this. He said, you know, I, I, I know I need to get some things right, and, and I know I need to get back in church and get saved. And I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I was shocked. How often does that just pop up in conversation, right? I was shocked and I was also speechless, literally. Like I didn't say anything at all and the moment just sort of passed. I did not respond to that situation the way I thought I would. And after the fact, I was left wondering why I responded the way that I did. In the Bible, the maximal example of this would be Peter. Think of what you might know about Peter from the gospel accounts. This guy, like his mouth is way ahead of his character, right? Uh, Peter reminds me of the chihuahua that lives two doors down from me in our neighborhood. That thing is all this and nothing else, right? Well, that's sort of the model we get of the apostle Peter in the gospel accounts. And all of that came to this climactic moment, uh, the Last Supper, there Jesus is with his disciples. He's explained to them, I, I'm, I'm going to go away from you guys for a little while. And where I go, you can't come yet. And Peter's like, no, 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 Jesus. I want to go with you now. Jesus, I am with you. Jesus, I will lay down my life for you. Jesus, I will die for you. And what does Jesus say? Peter, before the rooster crows in the morning, you're going to deny me three times. And that's exactly what happened. Three times over the course of that night, Peter just blows him off. I don't know him. I don't know that man. I don't know who Jesus is. 
And then we come to the book of Acts. And the same man who would fearfully blow Jesus off now faithfully declares him at every opportunity he can. Let's pick up the narrative in Acts chapter 3 beginning in verse 1. We're going to read the first 16 verses here. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people who saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. And to this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. This is a remarkable account of a truly remarkable event. The same Peter who said, I don't even know him, now just weeks later says, look at us. I've got something to say. From where does this kind of boldness come? What is the, the character of Christian courage? What is it that motivated Peter and John to do what they did? What is it that might motivate us to follow in their steps? What might cause us to seize upon the opportunities that come our ways? What might cause us to use our lips, our verbal witness, as well as our lifestyle to give testimony, bold witness to the name of a risen Savior, Jesus? Well, in Acts we see, first of all, that the apostles simply valued the gospel. They valued the message that they were given to preach. Like when, when Peter said, look at us, it wasn't because he was hungry for attention. It wasn't because he really enjoyed the limelight or he really liked to hear himself talk. No, he said, look at us so that they might see Jesus. 
In fact, it's a miraculous healing that happens to the lame man. That miraculous event is there to gain a hearing for the message of the gospel. Chapter 12 of, or verse 12 of chapter 3 says exactly that. Peter says that, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? And then he just preaches the gospel of a crucified and risen Messiah and calls them to faith in his name. In, in verses 19 and 20, he appeals to them directly. Repent and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshment refreshing may come. This wasn't about Peter receiving attention. This was about the people receiving salvation. Listen, you are bold for Jesus when your witness is not about you, but about him. You are bold for Jesus when your testimony flows from a settled conviction of the truth of the gospel and the reality of a resurrected Lord Jesus, and you begin to see how desperately people need this message. I was in class this week, and we were having a conversation about student ministry talking about the ways that student ministry so often involves approaching, dealing with, sometimes comforting and correcting uh, the sins, uh, the sins that are common among students and teenagers, and we begin to think about sometimes it's really complex because the problems in their lives sometimes come downstream from the problems they experience in their environments, whether it's in the school or, or the home or these kinds of things. And we are the type of people who ought to be able to look in those situations and go, we can help. We have the answer. We have the gospel. In fact, you've probably seen these or heard these heroic stories of someone stepping into a crisis situation and doing something that appears absolutely heroic, but in the interview after the fact, what do they say? I'm no hero. I just did what anybody else would do. I just saw a need and stepped in and helped. Wednesday afternoon, I just did a quick Google search. I know, I know that's dangerous. Uh, I'm no hero. I'm not a hero. And very quickly, stories popped up of someone stopping a gunman, someone rescuing a dog, someone putting out a fire, someone saving a child. And every single time, the person that stepped into that crisis situation said, I'm no hero. I'm not trying to be a hero. I just, I just saw a need, and I stepped in to help. That should resonate deeply with us. Do we not look around our world in our little circles of influence, in our cities, and our friends, and we see a desperate need of the gospel, and we can step into that breach because we actually have the thing that helps. The gospel of a risen Lord Jesus who makes things new, who makes things whole, who can heal the broken, who can cure the sin-sick soul, and he's coming again to make things right and make things new. We believe that the gospel has value because we know the value of the gospel for all who will repent and believe. We value the gospel. This story before us in the book of Acts really unfolds in an upside-down kind of way. As we read through chapter 3 and into chapter 4, uh, we see that Jesus, I mean that Peter and, and uh, John had no more than declared uh, this gospel message than the authorities showed up. 
the chief priests and their band, they showed up and they showed up to shut this thing down. And so they arrest Peter and they arrest John. It's too late in the day to hold a trial, so they hold him in jail overnight. And this causes us to ask, what were they doing that was that bad? I mean, this guy who had been lame was healed. The message that, were de- that they were declaring is actually good for people. For what reason would they be arrested? Well, the, the ruling class of the religious authorities of the day had, had two problems here. And the first one really was theological. Uh, they, they would acknowledge the idea of resurrection, that it can happen. But in their minds, resurrection is what happens on the last day. Resurrection day and judgment day, those are the same thing. So resurrection means game over, right? So if it wasn't yet game over, if it's not yet judgment day, there could not have been a resurrection. So they have a theological problem, right? But more importantly, they had a diplomatic problem. Uh, The areas occupied by the Romans, yet it's religiously Jewish. There are tensions there. And what would this message of a resurrected Messiah sound like to the Roman authorities? That sounds like revolt. That sounds like the status quo is being upset and the last thing we want is a big riot in the streets. The last thing we want is military action on the part of Rome to shut something down. So we've got to be quiet. This thing has to be hushed. And if it means arresting Peter and John, then that's what happened. So they were arrested, and the next day they are put on trial. And even though they knew how badly such a trial could go, imagine how it went with Jesus just a few weeks earlier, they were still really, really bold in their witness, testifying to the power that healed the lame man. Chapter 4, verse 10, let it be known to all of you, And to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, they said, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Verse 12, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Pick up in verse 13, chapter 4. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. And perceived that they were uneducated, common men. They were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all inhabitants of Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of all the people. For all were praising God for what had happened, for the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. So this whole thing turns out to be 
rather embarrassing for the religious authorities. They knew they could not hold them in jail without a trial. They put them on trial, and it's Peter and John that then accuse the authorities of crucifying Jesus. They get called on the carpet, so the authorities are like, hey, will you just do us this one favor? Like, we're going to let you go, but you can't talk about Jesus anymore, okay? Peter's like, "Mm, nah, and they just let him go. This is humiliating for the authorities. Think about what is happening here. Don't miss the irony. These uneducated, common men are speaking boldly and freely and courageously while the educated, sophisticated, powerful men are left timid and speechless. Y'all, Jesus doesn't lose. And what we see here is that in Jesus, those who are against him and are powerful become powerless. But those who are for him and powerless become powerful. This is why we are bold for Jesus in his name. Let's be clear. What made the apostles bold, what makes us bold, is not just an intellectual idea of the answers. Right? It's not simply knowing the conceptual framework of the Christian gospel. It's not just having the facts straight. The apostles were bold because they valued the gospel. They valued the gospel because they had been with Jesus, with him. The authorities recognized these men had been with Jesus. Peter and John said themselves, look, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and what we have heard, nothing fuels witness for Jesus like being with Jesus. Look, I recognize here in our story, this is just a a fact of the historical record that Peter and John had literally been with Jesus during Jesus' earthly ministry, but do not cut this short. Have you not seen Have you not heard? Were you not strangely and warmly compelled by the gospel of Jesus to the extent that you repented and you believed in his name? Have we not watched the gospel march faithfully in and through and among us here? Man, I saw that photo that Pastor Wayne put up of last Sunday morning in this hour of this just being flooded with students. The testimonies I heard from Reckless Weekend, 354 students, what have we not seen? Are we not witnesses of what God is doing in and through us here? Can we possibly not speak of what we've seen, what we've heard, what we know? I mean, Jesus said it himself, right? End of Matthew's gospel, at the end of the Great Commission, go therefore, take this message to to all the nations and oh yeah, I am with you. With you to the end of the age. In Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews were reminded, "I, I, I will never leave you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Listen, Christianity is not an abstract philosophy. It's not just a mere worldview. It's not just a set of beliefs or a God for life. Christianity is life lived with a living Savior who will not leave you and he cannot lose. What have we to fear, right? 
I want you to listen to the resounding, victorious joy of the early believers after this unfolds. Let's start in chapter 4, verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats. And grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They saw it with their own Eyes, despite every machination of evil, despite all the plotting against the message of Jesus going out, God's purposes had prevailed. They had every possible reason to be bold in their witness. So, what did they ask for? To be bold in their witness. That's exactly what they asked for. And notice the particular way that the prayer was answered the house shook. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now, this is not some sort of weird, ecstatic event. It is a refilling. This is not gaining something they did not have already. This was just sort of topping off the tank, right? That they received spirit power for continued boldness in their witness unto Jesus, and that fresh power for boldness would continue through the book of Acts, through the first century, across the Mediterranean, Roman world, into Europe, Africa, Asia, centuries later in a place like upstate South Carolina, the Spirit is still empowering believers for bold witness even today. So don't forget, why is it that God gives the Spirit in the first place? Acts chapter 1, verse 8, just before his ascension, Jesus told the disciples, but you will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Samaria, all Judea, and to the furthest places on earth. Spirit power is for gospel witness. The apostles were bold because they valued the gospel. They valued the gospel because they had been with Jesus. And here they were bold because they were filled with the Spirit. So here's the thing. Everything that was true for them, it's still true for us. Everything they had, we have. In fact, in Acts, these 
extraordinary events simply reveal what is the very ordinary pattern, the posture of the Christian life. In Christ, by the Spirit. How is it that we have life with God? In Christ, by the Spirit. How is it that we share the message of the gospel? In Christ, by the Spirit. What would make us bold in those moments? In Christ, by the Spirit. And yes, this dynamic, in Christ, by the Spirit, sometimes it comes big, sometimes it comes dramatic, sometimes it comes in the mundane, sometimes it comes in the small. Last week we saw believers around a table having food together. It was a move of the Spirit. And sometimes it even happens in the hard. Summer of 2002, one morning I had a call from, in the office from my mom. And mom regularly calls me. In fact, uh, I had a string of texts just a while ago. Hey, mom, I'm about to preach. Let's talk later, <laughs> right? Um, but I got a call that morning from her. And uh, my aunt, great aunt June had passed away. And the family had asked me to do the funeral. And obviously I was glad to do the funeral but I knew it would be challenging. I knew it would be challenging because, <clears throat> first of all, I hadn't seen my Aunt June in quite some time. And the things I remembered about my aunt weren't the kinds of things that you could share easily at a funeral. Her life was one of hard knocks, and those hard knocks that had their, their effect. So as I was struggling over this in my mind, my mom called me back and she said, hey Chuck, I just want you to know I found, I found a Christmas card and we got it about four years ago from Aunt June. I looked for it. I found it. I want to read it to you. And it just said, uh, Dear Charlotte, Charlie, and the boys, just wanted, to, just wanted to wish you a Merry Christmas and tell you that I, I got things right. And I thought, well, that's moderately helpful. Uh, later that day, my great aunt Rusty, June's brother, called me. And, Man, I love my Uncle Rusty. He was this... Uh, a little funny guy, uh, spent his life in the coal mines, was the jokester of the family. And he called me, he, and he kind of filled in the details. He said, I want you to know that about four years ago, June called me up. And June called me up and she told me that she found it. And for her, it all came down to two words, turn and bow. Turn and bow. And he began to relay to me how over the last four years, he had gotten to know a sister that he did not know before. Now, not just a sister according to the flesh, but a sister in Christ. As the funeral, the day of the funeral approached, uh, June's son David uh, came up to me and he had an envelope. And he said, this is a letter that I sent my mama just two weeks ago. Would you read it? And I thought, mm, maybe. <laughs> I want to see what's in this, right? And it was just this candid gut-wrenching, heartwarming letter from a son to his mom, acknowledging all the difficulties of his childhood, asking her forgiveness for the ways that he had contributed to some of that, and recalling what had happened four years earlier. When her faith was renewed, when she found Jesus again, when she was refreshed, when she was changed, and he closed that letter by saying this, Mom, I want you to know that the change you experienced, it's changed me too. And Rusty 
and David and me, we were the last three people in the parlor that day. And, and David gave a loving farewell to his mother. And I look, and there's, there's Rusty. And he's just standing here like this. And he's got these tears in his cheeks. But these weren't funeral tears, man. These were victory tears. And he just said this over and over. Turn and bow. Turn and bow. Thank you, Jesus. And she turned and she bowed. How is it that an otherwise dark, dark day could be awash with the glory of the gospel? You know the answer. In Christ, by the Spirit. In Christ, by the Spirit. In Christ, by the Spirit. He's with us, you all. I mean, that famous psalm, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. If he is with us, even in and through death, what in life do we have to be afraid of as we bear witness for him? Let me challenge you today with, with three questions. First, what does bold witness look like in your circumstances and in your situations? Maybe it's a coworker who needs to hear or needs to be here. Maybe someone you know that's hurting and, and they need your ear and then they need your voice. I'm not suggesting that bold witness for Jesus looks the same for every person. That's not the, the idea or the design of the New Testament. We've all been gifted in, in different ways and we've been placed in different places and that's for the purpose of bearing witness to all of every kind and place. God's design is in that. Secondly, let me ask you, what, what fear is robbing you from seizing the opportunities before you? Is it rejection, discomfort, the loss of respect or status? Now look, I'm, I'm not necessarily saying that tomorrow morning when you arrive at work, you jump up on your desk and you start preaching Jesus until the boss comes by and says, yeah, we're going to have to let you go. Maybe, right? But I am saying that sometimes we are way too afraid of really silly things. Jesus is with us, and he won't lose. He won't. Maybe this third question would be for you. What is keeping you from Jesus? He's alive. The gospel's real. And the word spoken so boldly by the apostles then is still true for you. Repent and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. He forgives, he restores, he renews, he transforms, and one day he's coming back to make it all right and to make it all new. Come to him today. Give your life to him today. Pour it out before him today. He, he wants you. He loves you. Jesus is still doing today all that he was doing then, and so we are still doing today all that the apostles were doing then. Boldness for Jesus. Coming to him boldly for the 
grace that's available by faith and salvation and going out for him boldly to let a dying world know there's a crucified and resurrected Messiah. He's alive and his message is true. This morning you may want to come up here and, and pray. I'll be here. Pastor Corey's here. We'd be happy to pray with you or speak with you. Let's pray together and follow the Lord as he leads. Father, we, we are grateful today that you are not the God who remains silent or distant or aloof. You're the God who comes. You're the God who shows up. You're a God who came into our world. You're the God who bore iniquities and our sins. You are the God who defeated death and rose again. And you are the God who visits us still by your spirit. So, Father, help us to embrace the pattern that we claim. Jesus is Lord. And so we live our lives. We testify unto you in Christ, by the Spirit. Together we can say in Jesus' name.